Well, let them know we're here. Deep you right the really mammoth. Last week, I planted my wire recorder in the steam room at a lady's Turkish bath. Well, tonight, as soon as I leave the studio, do you know where I'm going? Hmm? Your friend Smiley is going to spend the night in a haunted house on a spook hunt. You heard me. A spook hunt in a haunted house. I'm bringing my little old wire recorder along with me. The orchestra opens the program with It Serves You Right. Reading. Reading. This is Reading Roulette, the world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Hosted by Brian Ward. And I'm Bill Lyon. And this week, Choose Your Own Adventure, number five, The Mystery of Chimney Rock by Edward Packard. Part one of two. Welcome to Reading Roulette, world's only choose your own adventure literary podcast. I'm Bill Lyon. I'm Brian Ward. And this week we're doing Choose Your Own Adventure, number five, The Mystery of Chimney Rock by Edward Packard. Will we unlock the mystery of Chimney Rock this week, Bill? You know we are going to unlock this mystery because this book is an all-timer. As far as our limited memories of the series go, this might be a number one, maybe the greatest book in the Choose Your Own Adventure series. The way that I look on this book, I even get the vibe looking at it. It's almost like you see a copy of Dark Side of the Moon or like Abbey Road or something. And you get this this vibe of just like classic. And this definitely has this, just looking at the cover and, and just going through it, it just feels like this perfect encapsulation of what this series is all about. It was always my favorite. I think it was the very first one that I ever read, and it totally got into me. It just has this aura of greatness about it. I love it. I, could, I don't think I could say it any better. Dark Side of the Moon, Abby, that's what this is. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. This is one of the hits. This is like before the spirit of the 60s and the summer of love kind of disappeared and there were still great records. You know, that's how I feel mm-hmm. about this. Later on, we'll get like Choose Your Own Adventure number 100 and whatever, Skateboard Champion. <laughs> and Part just, two. Oh, that's like, I don't know, maybe Richard Marks of the series, you know, rock and roll is kind of dead and you've got right here waiting and you're just like, oh God, what ha- where did we make a wrong turn? What happened? Uh, Motocross Mania, written by Babyface. Ah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, this is cl- a classic work in the genre. You know how people will get a new hi-fi system and they'll get a new copy of Dark Side to kind of show it off. Yeah. I would get a new bookcase just for my copy of, of Chimney Rock. Agreed, strongly agreed. Quick shout out to Altman Junior High School of St. Paul, Minnesota. That's where my copy came came from? Possibly stolen. (laughs) Brian, take me to the back jacket. On your vacation in Connecticut, you notice a huge empty stone house at the top of a hill. Some of the windows are boarded up. Some are covered with vines. The old house, known as Chimney Rock, is so dark and gloomy, most people won't go near it. But you're the curious type. Should you see for yourself what's inside? Your cousin urges you to go ahead. If you say, I'll do it, turn to page four. If you say, no thanks, turn to page six. You had better say, no thanks, because Chimney Rock is gonna suck your soul. It's gonna fuck you up! Man, being a kid, a haunted house, what is better, what is worse, what is a more powerful presence in your life as a five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old than the creepy house down the street 
you don't know what's up. It's a mansion. It's dilapidated. It's in the collective unconscious of childhood. Mm, mm, and mm. Edward Packard taps into that collective unconscious. He doesn't just tap in. He's he's deep in the well. He's He maybe is the collective unconscious here. He is channeling some dark, dark stuff and some light. And it is just beautiful. Ain't that something? <laughs> yeah. It's very primal and gorgeous. Precisely at that level of a young adult, there's not a lot of gore. This beautiful psychological terror and unease, it still works, I think, to this day. I, I think what he does really well in this book, it's almost like a self-presentation or a self-realization of who you are as this young adult, as your own identity. And then when you're confronted with basically this question of who you are and this ambivalence of the surroundings towards your reality, it's just so unsettling. This is, in my mind, the classic haunted house. We, we like to talk about Disney World on this podcast, Brian. We like to talk about Epcot Center. Don't tell me not to get excited. Don't get excited. But the Haunted Mansion, I think we've mentioned that many times. To me, this is a more classic haunted house in my consciousness, in my memory, than even the Disney haunted house. Those are kind of two different sides of that same haunted coin. Yeah. You know, that Disney World, it gives you a lot of those elements, ominous, foreboding things around every corner. Which this book also does too, but oh, really? Disney, there's an element of tongue-in-cheek, well, a lot of tongue-in-cheek, but it's this buoyancy. Yes. You know, this mystery of Chimney Rock is bleak as fuck. Mm. It's very psychologically aggressive. Mm. Care for a cigar? No. It covers ghosts, shape-shifting, Fears of animals, fears of old people, fucking butcher knives, fears of falling out of great heights. There were fears I didn't even know I had until I read this book. I'm serious. I never knew I was freaked out by big turnip pig looking people. I am now. I don't like any caretakers now. I'm so, even to this day, reading it now as an adult, scared of this book. It's like you said, there's no gore, but the psychological terror in this writing and the quality of the writing yeah, is bone-chilling. <laughs> if it was just kind of like a, a pulpy kids novel, it would be very interesting, but it is really written extremely well. Something else that we'll get into later is just the, the way this book is constructed, which is pretty much the first of these books that, that we're going to see this. The Cave of Time was more of kind of just like a crazy prism of shoots and ladders of time mm, and, and all yeah. this craziness. And the rest of these other books, uh, The Balloon and The Sea and The Space and Beyond was just fucked. But it was a lot of these different plot strands just going in a different directions. In this book, because of the setting and these overlapping character dynamics and these plots, you never really know, even if you've read the book a bunch of times, what is actually happening. It changes, it shifts on you. These characters, they have different motives, they have different realities, they have different ways they present themselves to you. It is so involving and so engaging, an amazing work. I love it. It's, it, it shows this kind of book in the best light possible. These Choose Your Own Adventures, this is what it does of telling a story in a totally 
different way. The magic artistry of this book, which might be accidental, which is almost just maybe a miracle, maybe it was intentional, you get lost in this haunted house. Because of all the choosing your own adventures, you ch make choices and you get lost in the house. And some choices lead back into other plot lines that you would find by taking a, a totally different path, you wind up in the same place. But like you said, maybe a character in one section is benevolent and another section is pure evil. You get lost in this house. Yeah, and I know that you've tried to make some diagrams of this house. Oh, really? It's, makes it incredibly hard to summarize. We've been struggling with trying to even figure out ways how we would discuss this. There's just such a crazy, illogic pattern to the way this house presents itself. Have you ever seen that movie about The Shining? This documentary about the, uh, some of these fan theories about The Shining? Ghost. They tried to map out this Overlook Hotel mm. and they realized that like it's totally illogical. Like where they go places, it makes no sense. And that's exactly, I think, what you get in this book. You sure about that? You're going through staircases cases, pianos are being tripped over by spirits or cats or ghosts, closets opening up. You never have any idea where you're at, and you're completely vulnerable the entire time. It's just crazy confusion of terror. It's just so well how this happens. I love it. Let's maybe paint the picture a little bit of this house and just give our listeners a feel for just the furniture, the rooms, some of the, the smells and tastes you're going to encounter in this haunted house. You you touched on a few of them. You've got everything you might imagine. Uh, piano. Yeah. There's a rocking horse, which is creepy as shit. That rocking, a rocking horse, horse is will terrifying. never not be beyond creepy. Yeah. There's dead mice. Dead mice. How foreboding is a fucking rocking horse next to a dead mouse? You know what's always terrifying in a house in disrepair? A library. Not just a bookshelf, a full frickin' No holds barred library. You know Dusty. that dead shit on the shelves. Grandfather clock. Oh my god, what's scarier than a grandfather clock? Just th how about three keys? Three, three, three random keys. Just three keys in a closet full of mothballs. You know, that's something even as like a child, I don't think I knew what mothballs were, but you look at the word and it's just evocative. You know, that's maybe giving them a little too much credit, but how cool is that? I agree. Just mothballs. You know from the from the name of that, it's just something old and maybe smell. You know, it has this oh. illusion of decay. You've got uh, coils of rope. You know, next year, I you know I, I never did shit for Halloween this year. I'm just gonna get a bunch of rope and shit and a rocking horse and kick it over on the oh, lawn. Oh, terrifying! I'm gonna eat all the candy because no one's gonna come to my fucking house. No one wants to get <laughs> close to this shit. There's an instance where there's a closet that's filled with old and new clothes. Policeman's uniform. A policeman's uniform. uniform. What's that doing there? So beautifully foreboding. When you're in this page, you're looking at these these clothes that have gotten into this house somewhere, and a mouse just comes up to you and fucking dies right at your foot. What an amazing setup for a haunted house for a ghost uh, story. This is brilliant. Let me just read out some of these rooms. I tried to do an yeah, architectural let's a, let's diagram. A little, a little fast tour through here. You've got a backyard that leads into a kitchen, and that's one of the ways you kind of get yeah. into the house. You've got passageways, landings, stairs, spiral staircases. Like you said, a rocking horse room, closets, storerooms. You've got a wine cellar, an underground tunnel, a coal mine, a library, <laughs> dining room, living room hall, large room. You've got a dead cop room. You've got an upstairs hall. You've got a cedar closet. My God, Brian, it just doesn't stop. You have an addict. You have a tower. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, all the things that a big fuck off rich person dilapidated mansion has. You have like grounds. 
You have guest houses, broken windows, you've got it all. Oh, packed with vines and vines. rotten wooden supports. Apps, steps just Did you get to the apart. cobblestones? Did you see the thing that oh, had like cobblestones? Cobblestone. Stop it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Oriental rugs with fucking demon cats on them. Not to mention a mirror. Really mirrors. Freaky, freaky. Terrifying mirror. mirrors, paintings, everything. Why don't we just start at the beginning? Let's put ourselves right out in the front. Vacation is here, and you're visiting your cousins Michael and Jane for a few days at their new home in Connecticut. Soon after you arrive, they take you on a tour of their neighborhood. Along shady streets lined with cozy houses with neatly trimmed streets lined with cozy houses with neatly trimmed lawns. At the top of the hill, you notice a huge stone house, unlike any you've ever seen. It has turrets, walled terraces, and a square tower that looks like a giant chimney. Some of the windows are boarded up, and others are hidden by vines and bushes. There's a big dog chained in front of the little cottage nearby, and you ask your cousins if anyone lives in the main house. Chimney Rock? Most people around here wouldn't live there for a million dollars, Michael says. It's supposed to be cursed, Jane adds. They say that some people who've gone inside have never been seen again. What happened to them is still a mystery. You see, Michael explains, Mrs. Bigley lived in Chimney Rock alone with her cat for many years. When she died, she left instructions in her will that the cat could live there for the rest of its life. People say that she put a curse on the house so that no one would bother the cat. Haven't the police investigated, you ask? The police never found anyone, only the cat, Michael says. But some people say Mrs. Bigley never died at all, and that she's still living there herself. What does the caretaker say, you ask? He doesn't say anything, Michael replies. Some say he's crazy. Some say he's just mean. But I guess he's afraid of the curse, too, because I hear he won't set foot in Chimney Rock. You're not kidding, you ask. If you think we're kidding, Michael says, why don't you go inside? Ha, huh, Michael. What the fuck, man? I'm just, I'm just here to visit. I just want to hang out in Connecticut. And you're a kid, though. You're talking big. You don't want anybody to think you're afraid. That's when you get into trouble. I've done it. How about you? You've been a kid. You get a little dare going. That's when mischief and trouble happens. Put up or shut up. What, are you afraid to do heroin, Brian? In front of your cousin Jane? She thinks you're a pussy. You're a pussy. Shoot up or go into a haunted house. We're 12 years old. Bitch. That's, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's how my 12, 11 years old was. <laughs> 12 steps, 12 years. That man. was some scary stuff, so yeah. Going in a haunted house, just breaking into somebody's house. I mean, that's something you did in those days. I don't know if I'm just, I'm going to get arrested for something. But I mean, that, you, you got dared to break into somebody's house. I didn't, just, I didn't even have to get dared. Yeah, well, just uh, do it. I always wondered about this. I think it's the only way you're going to unload this house. You're just going to say that? In house ones, just kick the door down. I just wanted to kick a door down. Great. And it was awesome. <laughs> it was effortless. I did it with one kick. You I listening, felt like kids? a big man. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. I loved it. Walked around in the house. It was dark. I didn't have a flashlight. And I have the memory for the rest of my life. Awesome. Yeah. You got some scary old people in your neighborhood. You kind of sneak into their backyards. You test the doors. You see what's up. Yeah. You know what I mean? being a kid. Yeah. You can't do that shit when you're 30 years You'll old. You'll be arrested. Or shot. You know you only have a short window. To fuck around. To fuck around. And kids, if you're listening right now, break into some houses because nothing can happen to you except good things or demonic possession, <laughs> which the chances of that are slim. You know what people call it? The death trap. Yeah. I love the, the buildup to this. Like, you know you're fucked going in. Four people are known to have committed suicide there. The way that he sets this up, it's such an 
awesome crystallized version of this moment because basically they're talking about all of this dread about the house but yet at the same time he's talking about how beautiful of a day it is it's so bright and sunny out well here's the house yeah looks real nice in the sunshine don't it just young on vacation and then all of a sudden i'll do it you say okay michael replies when are you going jane and i will watch you we'll want to say goodbye to you jane says you take the time to get a flashlight from the house, and then three of you set off for Chimney Rock. You feel a bit nervous, but it's a beautiful day, and you keep telling yourself there really is nothing to worry about. As you approach it, the house looks bleak and forbidding. Like some medieval fortress, a dark cloud passes in front of the sun. The wind blows dust in your eyes. You wish you hadn't agreed to go inside, but it's too late to back out now. So while Michael and Jane watch from a distance, you walk around the house and try all the doors. Every one of them is locked, except for one in the back of the house. You wave to your cousins, open the door, and walk into an entryway that leads into a large kitchen. So this haunted house, Brian, is not entirely unoccupied. <laughs> sure is not. There's real people, imagined people, specters, ghosts. Shit tons of mice. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Just enough emptiness to petrify you. Oh, absolutely. But we've identified four main characters, and I think we need to introduce our audience to come with the cast of characters yeah. in this haunted house. As long as it doesn't cost me anything. Not a thing. So I think first off, we have probably the first character that, that I met, maybe, maybe that you met, is the maid. There's, for some reason, a maid working at this crazy, forbidden house. Her name is Lena. Within a few moments, a door you hadn't noticed before opens, and a thin young woman walks in. She is wearing a black dress and a little white hat in the fashion of a maid. Oh, she says, looking at you with surprise. I didn't know Mrs. Bigley was expecting a guest today. I'm Lena. May I bring you anything? Perhaps cheese and crackers. You must be hungry. <laughs> That's funny because I, I always got a vibe that she was just kind of a very sweet, amped up, freaked out, neurotic woman. I never, did, did you actually picture her as being like menacing in certain ways? Well, like you pointed out in our intro, yeah. some of these characters have entirely different moral compasses. They have different motives, you know, depending on which story path you take. So here with the cheese and crackers, let me yeah. tell you, Brian, those cheese and crackers are up to no good. <laughs> so she might be great, but those cheese and crackers don't have your best interest in mind. I remember specifically when I read this as a kid, we had those, what are they called, handy snacks? Or are they still called mm. those? You remember where it was like I'm the- I'm getting hungry. Oh, I should have brought some Oh, packs. that liquid cheese. Oh, I oh yeah. Mm. I should have put those out. Oh, that little red plastic, like- The, the, the little fork thing, Yeah, right? like the you couldn't afford a fork. It was just a, <laughs> it was like, oh my God. Yeah, that plastic tab. That I bet if you go on witchcraft is real. Etsy right now, oh, people yeah. are making castles out of those little red tiny things, gluing them together, making earrings. There's probably an entire species of like exotic fish that has been exterminated from the earth due to those red <laughs> yeah, because like, those plastic those, uh, those handy snack tabs. Probably asleep up all night and everything. That was like a signpost of dread for me as Witchcraft a kid. is real? Because mm -hmm. that is one snack that you would never be offered outside of its packaging. Oh, You know yeah. what I mean? No one ever in my life, and it would never even occur to me to be offered cheese and crackers separate in some sort of presented way. That's the reddest red flag. And to put this in historical context, like around the time of the writing of this book, you are in the era of the, uh, 
what is that, Tylenol being poisoned. Oh, yeah, that's right. So all of a sudden we have childproof caps and you tamper have proof. tamper proof. It's new. Prescription it's new. We didn't used to have those. Like, like everybody can remember when you didn't have those. Yeah. And the urban legend or maybe the real thing of the, you know, the candy poisoners, you know, mm -hmm. the razor blades and the apples. So you're thinking about that. So reading this book, when they offer you spreads of food, when a stranger uh -huh. offers you candy, when a stranger offers you cheese and crackers, you are freaked the F out as mm -hmm. a kid. As you should be. Yeah, as you should be, but especially as of the time of this writing. I think in one section, you actually ask her, like, do you have anything else? Yeah. <laughs> and she gives you brownies, which is, which is a, a little bit more uh, natural. If, if you're going to poison a kid, don't give him something that's, like, hyper-packaged. Give him something a little more casual. Yeah. You know, you want, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Very powder Careful. Yeah, you know, the cheese and crackers so obvious. is like a chloroform. Brownies is more like they're roofing your drink. That's Lena for you. That's that's what you get, and uh, hmm. we'll be seeing more of her later. I just want to point out that um, just as a warning to uh, people, maybe younger listeners kind of trying to choose a, a profession, you know, a field to go into right now. <laughs> this is excellent advice. Um, Pre-20th century style domestic servitude has, I looked this up, has a 5,000% higher incidence of haunting, witchcraft, and murder mystery related occupational hazards than uh, comparable or any other professions. Isn't that amazing? So if you're going into some kind of pre-20th century style of domestic servitude, if you're thinking of that, just be aware, you, you might be, you know, you might have some issues to, to prepare for. Piano tuner on a submarine would have a comparable amount of creepiness factor. Absolutely, those are, those are the other ones. I mean, I, listen, it could be, you could make a killing in it. I'm just saying, be aware of the reality. Pin monkey out of Mission Bowling Alley. Well, no reason for you to carry a chip on your shoulder. <laughs> I thought we'd get into this later, but I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think Lena's uh, social life is like? When she's off work, what do you think she does to kick it for fun? What do, what do you think she's doing at, on her weekends? What a great question. And this is what we always think as 20th and 21st century people when we read tales of domestic servants, is mm -hmm. we wonder, what the hell were they up to when they weren't doing their job? Because it seems like their job is like a 24-7 freaking job. Yeah, but you also figure that, that like these domestic servants, they're they're serving a house with families and mm -hmm. they have like a big staff. She's a staff of one, possibly two. Yeah. And that Jervis, who we'll talk about next, he's got his own fucking house. So I don't know if she's playing uh, the piano. <laughs> she's just a prodigy. Just, she knows you know, all the nocturnes by now. She's just like a Chopin <laughs> she's freaking prodigy. Her own. The Emily Dickinson of piano. She's just got all these amazing. Oh, just know, etudes of, upon etudes. Yeah, yeah. Of, the, of these atonal prophecies. She's like this. Yes. She's created modern, postmodern piano music. <laughs> she doesn't even know who like Schoenberg is, but she's written all like, she's like basically <laughs> discovered of her own being. John Cage is yeah, just John like a, a gross approximation of what Lena's mastering and her time's off of these prepared piano pieces. Probably the rest of her time is spent on Tinder. <laughs> or a rocking horse. Or that. So up next we've got Jervis, who's got one of the best descriptions I've ever read of a character. You thought Murma was, was uh, a fully fleshed out. Oh, bringing it back to Murma of uh, <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventure number that's, four. I know that's low-hanging fruit. You cross the meadow to the cottage and knock loudly on the door. In a moment, a heavy-set man wearing a dirty plaid shirt opens the door. His face is pale and fat. His eyes are pink, like a pig's. Behind him is a huge dog, a mastiff, chained to a... Chained to a radiator, the dog growls menacingly but does not move. What do you want? 
Jervis asks gruffly. My cousin Jane is trapped in the house and I'm worried about her. Would you please unlock it and help me find her? And Bill, could you please approximate for the listeners what this singular picture of Jervis is? Yeah, this, he's wearing almost an old, what do you call those kind of caps that a that a Scotsman would wear or something? Uh, oh, you've oh, got a cap? There's two different ones <laughs> that are terrifying. There's freaky. two freaky pictures of Jervis, yeah. It's One, he looks like an almost an overgrown one of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Oh, yeah, And yeah. he's knocking on a window and he's missing teeth and he has these asymmetrical missing teeth, hair like curly from Three Stooges, uh. it, an ill-fitting suit. He looks like a man-child who might want to physically eat you. He might want to eat your body. I, I don't think people like this even exist, but when they say his face is pale and fat, it doesn't look pale, it looks disgusting. Very grimy. Well, I don't like this. But there's like this pugnacious look, lots of folds and creases. His ears are incredibly cauliflowered. His eyes are completely sunken in like black pits. The hair is just crazy like a cartoon turnip overgrown. This guy is fucking crazy looking. A lot of nonsense. Working the grounds of a palatial estate year after year in a fat, hearty old age as a diminishing fortune and a distant, ruthless heiress lets a former glory fall into sad disrepair, this can make a groundskeeper bitter. If the heiress is dead, it can drive a groundskeeper mad. But if she is an undead witch, This can turn your goodly groundskeeper into a supernatural psychopathic slasher. And that's what's happened to Jervis. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know Jervis in the better days. He could have been like a Fezziwig character filled with mirth. Well, what kind of approximate, like in Jervis in better times? Can you think of any analogy to that? Please, listeners, uh, write into us if you know. uh, Readingroulette.podcast at gmail.com. There's a Polish epic, like a 19th century novel. It's almost like the war and peace of Poland. And I watched two thirds of this movie that's made of it. I can't think of the name of it. But part of the plot is there's this groundskeeper. He's more like the um, like the assistant to the lord. Okay. Of the, and kind of the lord is like a carefree aristocrat who's just maybe sold or lost the rights to the old estate. And so he's living in the city, kind of like a like a dandy. All right. But this terrifying groundskeeper or assistant wants to restore the estate to its former glory. Okay. So he almost gins up a war with the family that owns the place in uh, order to to make this happen. Make this happen. And the actor that plays this guy reminds me of Jerv, just this oh, giant really? balding head, massive <laughs> man who just wants to just shoot people with blunderbusses, and he is like freaky. And I picture that as Jervis in maybe maybe 10 or 15 years before the war went bad, you know, just kind of like nothing could touch him, drinking, just very proud of the estate, you know, proud of the coat of arms, proud of the, proud of the bullshit, you know? You don't have to sell me. His position in life is through the the house, the status that he has. And please just cut everything I just said, that's stupid. I don't even know, no one wants to hear about this Polish epic that I can't remember. Or do you think this is something like, like, you know, in those olden days where they would have like a madman live on the property? You ever heard that some guy it was good luck just to have a strange guy living on the estate? Absolutely. Do you know like the fool? Yeah, you actually would have a fool. You know what I, I found this out was from uh, Sir Walter Scott. Mm-hmm. So you would have, they would call them an innocent. Oh, okay, that's and, the name. And it, but it would be, you know, someone who was mentally challenged or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, euphemism is like the He'd most current euphemism. off on the property, like way off in the, the corner just of the be a estate. Part, exactly, it was seen yeah. like as a noble thing to do. The more aristocratic yeah. you were, you had, quote, a fool or an innocent just living on your estate, just kind of roaming around doing, doing his thing. Sure, sure.
you know, I, I kind of feel bad for Jervis in a way because sure. every day when I come home, the neighborhood chaps, group of, of handymen, they're always drinking and playing cards in the basement. And it's like this society of theirs. Why don't they come out? Probably asleep up all night and everything. And I feel like Jervis really needs, like, I'm sure it's a very healthy thing for these guys to have this, this group, this band. And it's just him. And it's just him. He's fucking cursed. Lena's probably not giving it up. No. Nothing's happening there. Nothing's happening there. They don't even speak. He's got this dog, not like a happy dog. Chained to a radiator. That's terrifying. What kind of a life is that? What kind of guy chains a dog to a radiator? And are mastiffs? What's like, uh, I know they're fucking big. I don't know if they're like... Yeah, if you're playing along, if you're playing the home game, or if you're scoring at home, Google Images Mastiff. All right, you're there now. (laughs) Coming back into the house, draw us back into the core of the unease and the horror of this place. We've got Melissa the cat. Yeah, this cat is a character. Does a lot of different things. Takes you down some weird twists and turns. But this is the ur-black cat. This black cat is the black cat of your long nightmares. Not your short ones, long nightmares. The black cat that crosses your full moon path and you double back the way you came and you lie to your friends and tell them you were late for other reasons. Green eyes. Green eyes. Yeah. And the cat also plays piano. Scary as fuck. Anybody home? He likes to sit on oriental rugs, surrounded by dusty cobweb books, and stare at you, and stare at you. And when it's not staring at you, it's trying to shrink you and eat you. Yeah. Yeah, we should just, re- maybe let's just reveal that right away. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> A lot of the plot of this book is this magic, cursed cat, kind of shape-shifting cat. Had a witch becoming cat. It is trying to shrink you, shrink you, miniaturize you into a mouse and eat you. Scary. Scary as fuck. Cautiously, you retrace your steps to the storeroom closet, take the key ring, and return to the landing. At the top of one of the two flights of stairs leading upward, you make out the silhouette of a large black cat, its green eyes shining in the gloom of the hall. Its back arched, its teeth bared, the cat hisses softly as you approach. Black cat. It's going to be running around, it's going to be creeping on you the whole time, and as more drawn into this ominous setting that you get, you start to realize that this Mrs. Bigley, who's been hinted at, has got some of the same characteristics as this cat, Bill. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, you meet her many times. Mrs. Bigley. This is Mrs. Bigley. This is the fourth character we're talking about here. Yeah, so this is the big one, owner of the house here. This is the woman whose terrifying aura is gripping this entire estate. Suddenly, standing before you, is a tall, elderly woman dressed in black. Her hair swept back in a bun. Her burning green eyes seem to stare right through you. So this is Mrs. Bigley. She never died at all. She looks like a witch. But of course, witches don't really exist. Or do they? And that's one of the times you'll meet Mrs. Bigley. You will meet these characters several different times under several different circumstances. So when you try to reread this book and come back and follow some other passages, it starts to have this strange effect on your memory because it's like constantly shifting. What is so cool about this in the specific Choose Your Own Adventure book is it's just not one path that is branching off. 
it's constantly moving underneath you. So this cat has got different personality traits. This witch is always ominous, but sometimes she'll she'll disappear. Sometimes she'll speak to you. She'll like fuck with you sometimes. She'll be directly hostile. It's just such an awesome recipe when you get all of these people in this house just jumbled up, just flying at you in different crazy patterns. So awesome. And they're always, like you said, dis- the disappearing is what makes it. Some of these characters are just beyond reach in a lot of the writing, so you, you get a little glimpse and then yeah. they disappear and you're like, what? you don't even know if it was a real thing that happened. It makes it like a fucking ghost story. It actualizes it in a way that oh, just a yeah. normal linear narrative can only do so much of. Why not try to relax? When you have this this narrative that's constantly changing and coming at you in all these directions, it makes it so much more real in this creepy, confusing way. And the fact that you're going in all of these different rooms of these houses, I still have no idea what this house looks like. There's staircases and trap doors and all these things. I am totally, totally lost. It's a wonder. Part of what makes her terrifying is her old age and the descriptions of her old age. Mm-hmm. Because you think she might be dead. A lot of the plot of this book, this book is there's no one living here. Maybe there's just a cat living there. Mm-hmm. Somehow she's staved off death. Yeah. And witches, let's just face it, are scarier when they're old. Uh, young witches? Young witches are sexy. If a young witch killed you, at least you'd die aroused. Possibly. Listen, young witches with your young love spells, your young kittens, and your young unswept broomsticks the cruel spells cast as you fight off gray old age and gray wrinkles and gray fleeing beauty, the quest for eternal youth is what makes a witch old and fearful beyond even fearful death. It's the chase for eternal youth that turns a witch from just being a Wiccan into an evil, seductive, maybe not even seductive, just a villain, an evil villain. And this witch is an evil villain. Oh, yes. Fast, fast. You know, it's you know, fast, fast overviews of uh, His own recorder, and I'm paying for the rental of a couple of walkie talkies he hooked up to. This Lena section Scary. of the book. Death by cheese and crackers. Witch reveal in a knife wielding maid. Abandon your cousin, but everything works out. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Giant cat implied death. Ring a brass bell and maid Lena appears. Funny brownies in a haunted house. Oh, fuck. You're possessed by a cat devil? Staring contest to save your soul. Escape from a coal mine. Hysterical maid begs you to hold a cat. Break the curse by carrying cat out of house. Convince maid to have a heart attack. There is no end. Sisyphean damnation with Jade Porcelain Cat. Lena is, is the first character that you really meet when you're kind of finding your way through this house initially. And she also has, there's there's a couple different very cool endings that, that involve her specifically. You, uh, uh, you give some really great advice to Lena in her time of need. <laughs> you know, kids fucking around on vacation are not the best people that you want to advise you on no. psychological trust issues. Supernatural phenomena. When curses are involved. Look, you say, you need not be afraid of Mrs. Bigley. You are a prisoner of your own fears. If you can summon the will to get out of here, you can free yourself. But Lena holds her hands over her face and sobs. When you try to comfort her, she leaps up to her feet and runs towards the front door. You follow close behind. Then, as you watch in horror, she seems to freeze for a moment. Her face turns deathly white and she collapses on the floor. You rush to help her, but it is too late. She is dead. Still dizzy, you open the front door. The bright sunshine and cool fresh breeze quickly revive you. You are sad for Lena, but thankful you have escaped the curse of Chimney Rock. 
I love how cold that is. What a cold kid. What a cold fucker you are. And I don't know if we set that up well enough because part of that section is she comes to you in distress and says, Only you can help me break the curse. I'm under this spell. Pick up this cat and run outside with the cat and it will save me. And only you can do it. It can free me from this curse. And you're given two choices. One of the choices is to take the cat and run outside, which in that case you actually do break the curse and she's very thankful to you. But your other choice is to advise her, no, it's only in your head, run outside. And that's what happens. This section you just read, that's what happens. You kill her, she has a freaking curse-induced heart attack and dies because of your terrible armchair psychology. And that's almost, that's like a little touch of almost an Ari Montgomery kind of an ending here too, where you're like, (laughs) Yeah, and it's pretty nice out here. I feel a little bit better. Thank God I didn't get fucking cursed. Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on how hot she is. I think she's modern. I'm going by the illustrations here. But, uh, yeah, she seems all right. Yeah, then I'm then I'm sad. The nurse said he's all right as soon as he's had a blood transfusion. A 12-year-old boy on vacation when she wants some, a little bit older. Maid. She's dressed up in, like, a maid costume. That's what I'm talking about. Uh. Wouldn't you want to be a little nicer to her? Yeah. Yeah, so like you, come over here. You check her pulse. You know what? Actually, if you're 12 years old, you're maybe checking more than her pulse when she's dead. <laughs> you're maybe just maybe making sure she's dead for real. Seeing if she's warm, you know? You're 12. You're on vacation. Connecticut. You're in a, an abandoned building. What happens in Chimney Rock? Stays <laughs> in Chimney Rock. And not just in this section of the book, I think two or three times you notice, and it's just incidental, except in this section, there's a porcelain or jade, it's green, cat. It's like a china cat. China right? cat yeah. just sitting on a shelf. And in this instance, you get scared around Lena because I think because you see Mrs. Bigley, the witch, you freak out and to get your balance, you accidentally touch the porcelain cat and shatter it on the floor. Big, Big fucking, fucking mistake. mistake. Big fucking mistake. Big fucking mistake. You bend over and pick up the pieces as fast as you can, putting them on the dining room table. When you bend down again for the rest of the pieces, there seem to be as many pieces as there were before. Wondering what's going on, you pause and glance around the room, standing only a few feet away, watching you intently is the tall, sharp figure you recognize from the picture hanging in the hall, Mrs. Bigley. I'm sorry I broke your cat, you exclaim. I'll pay for it. Yes, you'll pay for it, Mrs. Bigley replies softly. You resume picking up bits of the broken china cat, but each time you bend over, you see as many as there were before. No matter how fast you work, you are unable to pick them all up. Gradually, you realize that you are under the witch's spell and that you must keep trying and trying. There is no end. I remember that specifically from when I was a kid. You kidding? And it still freaks me out. Yeah, at least Sisyphus got to be outside. Yeah. He's in nature. In fresh air. The boulder. And you know what? No one's looking over his shoulder the whole time being like, do this. And also, the boulder isn't demeaning. It's the tiny pieces. Mm -hmm. It's like... Uh, really getting in your head, you know? The boulder, at least you have the self-esteem. I'm lifting a whole boulder. I'm rolling this whole boulder up the hill. Look at me, I kick ass. This is so demeaning, it gets inside of you and it hurts. I know that. For eternity. And then, we should mention when I said there is no end, all of these endings in Choose Your Own Adventure books, you get a bold face type, the end. Very satisfying. And then sometimes they mess with that, get a little creative. Instead of the end, here it says, there is no end. And that's scary, scary spot. You feel it. This isn't a cheerful spot by any means. Totally inescapable horror. It just makes me really uncomfortable, Brian. Tiny mental prison. Mm -hmm. The sense of evil is very strong. 
cheese and crackers. Implications of the offer that you obviously know that you shouldn't. You go into the pantry with Mrs. Bigley. Some crackers and cheese are already on the table. You decide to eat one cracker and no more. As soon as you take your first bite, you feel dizzy. Your vision is blurred, but as well as you can tell, everything around you looks as if it's growing in size. The fuzzy outline of Mrs. Bigley seems to tower above you. You wonder if you've been poisoned, but you can't think straight. You jump down from your chair and run as fast as you can out of the dining room and into the study. You hear sounds behind you. Mrs. Bigley must be chasing you. You dare not look back. For an instant, you realize you should not be afraid of an old woman, but you are afraid. Ahead of you is a small passageway you didn't notice before. It looks almost like a tunnel, an escape route. You scamper inside. You have to crawl, but gradually, it seems to get larger, much larger, so that you can almost stand up. Suddenly, you realize that your surroundings have not been getting larger. You have been getting smaller. Much, much smaller. You try to stand up, but you can't seem to keep your balance. Standing on your hind legs, you try to cry out, but your brain can only think, run, eat, hide, like the mouse you are. Holy shit! (laughs) And there's a picture of a black mouse looking at you with its dead fucking black eyes. Especially that. That kind of happens a few times in the book. You almost get, not desensitized, it's always scary, but you're almost expecting it. But the first time you get turned into a mouse, whew! Oh my god, you didn't see it coming. You're doing a lot of shrinking if you're making some bad choices in this book. But this ending specifically, when he takes you into the psychology of it, not only are you changing, you're being chased by someone who's changing dimensions, but you're also aware that your psychology is changing. Yeah. You don't even have those human fears anymore. You don't even remember that this witch is chasing you because all of your fears are wrapped up into this animalistic, primal need. It's just terrifying. I feel very, what shall I say, profoundly depressed. It's not only scary as a child, but I think it's also even scarier as an adult when you have an innocent, vulnerable person knowingly or half-knowingly being in one of these situations. Choose your own regrets. You just don't have that strength of personality or you just feel overwhelmed by the situation for whatever reason and you almost accept the giving away of your power. And when you're young, you don't realize how damaging that is. Yeah, you eat the cheese and crackers and you don't know that your whole life's gonna end. Too late to change your mind now. And you know, you have this feeling, something negative, like this isn't right. Yeah. But you don't know enough to understand the implications of how bad that can be. Right, you can't articulate your own willpower, so it just you just almost let something bad happen to you. I mean, we're going to a dark place here, Brian, but that's where this book goes. Exactly, it goes very, very dark. You get turned into a mouse on top of that. That one section is just so excruciating. And the reason you're being turned into a mouse, as you know, is not only so this witch that can shapeshift into a cat can eat you, mm-hmm. it's so she can toy with you. Exactly, exactly. There's not a lot of comedy in this chimney rock. rock. It's not a, a house of <laughs> merriment or belly laughs. But this one ending specifically, do you know which one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It cracked me up big time. Quite frankly, I, I'd like to get out of here. So imagine if you will. You and Lena are running out the front door. You've found an escape that you can break this curse somehow. Just a minute, you say to Lena. You run back to the front hall. Jane is there. I'm free, she cries, and she runs up and hugs you. In a moment, Lena joins you. 
I know where Mrs. Bigley keeps the key to the front door, she says. She opens a cabinet, gets the key, unlocks the big oak door, and flings it open. The three of you go running out onto the front lawn, not noticing that you are being followed by a black cat, which, if you turned to look at it, would seem to be 20 times your size. Fortunately, you don't look back. Now, there's no illustration on this ending, Bill, but 20, say you're like maybe four and a half feet, five feet tall. 20 times that size would be about a hundred foot cat chasing <laughs> your ass out of this fucking mansion. You know, listeners, I, I really believe I'd go completely crazy if I had to stay here much longer. It's like just a completely baffling mental image, which is kind of freakish, but also kind of funny, but horrific at the same time. It's just this jumble of craziness. It's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. <laughs> oh. ah. Hardly knew ye. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So if you don't like being shrunk... I get the blues just remembering it. He uh, takes it in the other direction and makes the fucking cat bigger. But I always wonder, though, say if Michael is standing on the lawn, what the fuck is Michael looking at? And it says, fortunately, that you don't turn around. Does that mean that you never know what kills you? Or fortunately, because like Lot's wife, you don't turn back. Right. So you don't get the negative impact of it. Do you think you get away there? Or do you think that you just don't see what's... I thought the implication was that it's going to kill you in any second. But at least you're not looking at it. You're just going to disappear and not experience the fear. I think that's kind of open-ended. I almost took it the opposite way. That by just not looking back, the door is open. So you're out there. But still, it's just, I think it's an impossible thing to take literally. It's almost poetic. You're 10 years old. You see a 100 hundred foot tall, let's say you're Michael right now, cousin Michael sitting way back yeah. in the weeds. You're kind of, I don't know, you're playing on a chain link fence or something. You're just kind of waiting. You see your cousin's being chased by a hundred foot tall, out from blood, green eyed black cat. Aren't you just thinking, cool? Because I think that's what I would be thinking. I don't know how scared I would be. I would think, wow, cool. Sure, but try to convince people of that. Jimmy Rock, most people around here... This is book number five, if they did like 5.1. Yeah. Something from Michael's perspective. Yeah, should I get a hot dog or something? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Should I get some lemonade? Maybe I'll go bowling, wait for this guy to come out. Oh. Which room could it be now? Right? Left? No, right, right. This is it, I think. Closet. Store rooms. Um, got a wine cellar, an underground tunnel, a coal mine, a library, dining room, a living room hall, large room. You've got a dead cop room. You've got an upstairs hall. You've got a cedar closet. Um, my God, Brian, it just doesn't stop. You have an attic. You have a tower. Reading. Room. Thanks for listening to another episode of Reading. The world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Shoot us an email, readingroulette.podcast at gmail.com, or give us a like on Facebook at uh, Reading Roulette Podcast. For Reading Roulette and Brian Ward, I'm Bill Lyon. This is happening because of your own... All this is happening because of your own... All this is happening because of your own... All this is happening because of... Do you like me?
can say now. I didn't see any ghosts. I can't give you anything but love. And that's all we have time for on the Hot and Mellow Hour tonight.